Welcome to the Midcast, presented by the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland. Each month we will look at some of the key issues for mission in Scotland today. We'll bring you experienced voices, practical insights and unique stories, all focused on the mission of the church in Scotland. Hi there, thanks so much for taking the time to download and listen to the Midcast. My name is Glenn Innes. I'm going to be your host for the next 40 minutes or so. Uh, Before we get into today's podcast, let me let you know about an upcoming conference that we have. On the 26th of November, we're going to have a day looking at what innovation in mission and church might mean for us uh, here in Scotland. We would love you to come along to that. It's at Easter House Baptist Church. It will take place from 10.30 till about 4 p.m., Uh, Martin Hodson, the General Director of the Baptist Union of Scotland, will be sharing some information there. And we'll have Rich Robinson facilitating our day of exploration of innovation. We would love to see you there. There's more information in the show notes as to how you can book. But back to our conversation. Today, our guest is Andrew Clark. It's the second part of a conversation with Andrew. And I'd encourage you to listen to the first one if you haven't had a chance to yet. Our conversation here is really me prodding on something that Andrew had said in our first conversation, that mission was primarily carried out by Christians as they went about their regular lives uh, and sent out from the local church. I wanted to check in with Andrew really around the question of what the role of the community is in mission. And so we had what I think is a really fruitful conversation. I know it helped my thinking and I hope you enjoy it too. Andrew, it's great to have you back on the Midcast. Um, I'm really excited about this conversation, which is a continuation of our previous conversation, where you were kind enough to share with us what has gone on uh, at Geary Church over the last 12 years, and some of your thinking behind how that came about, uh, and also some of your thinking about uh, how that has developed. In particular, I'm really interested for us to spend some time talking about something that you said in the last podcast, which was this idea that the church isn't really on mission. It's the individuals who are going. Now, I'm paraphrasing you, so please do correct me if I'm uh, pitching this wrong, but that actually it is individuals from the church who are engaged in mission. And, And that raises so many questions. I guess the first is how we define mission. I'll give you a stab at that. But I mean, how how would you talk about? It? First of all, welcome back. Thank you, thank you, Claire. <laughs> and uh, so, how would you pitch mission? What, like, what do you understand mission to be? I think we have tended to view mission too narrowly. Okay. I think we have reduced it to uh, the model that that Paul engages in. In going around church, uh, going around uh, the Greco-Roman world and uh, building churches, or the way that Jesus uh, framed it in terms of uh, going and, and preaching the good news about uh, the kingship of Jesus. I think across the Bible as a whole, um, there are many other aspects of mission that are crucial, and we sideline to to our loss, I think, uh, and uh, to the, the loss for the work of the kingdom. So let me, start, let me run through a few of these, and we could add, add them up. Almost going through um, the, from the Bible 
beginning to end. So right at the very beginning, there's like an Eden mission, a, a, a call that God places on Adam to, to rule and subdue the created order. You don't rule over other people, you rule and subdue over the created order. Uh, that's an ecological mission, to love and care for the created order. We could move on to, to Abraham and the mission that was specifically given to him and his, his heirs and successors yeah. to be a blessing to all nations. And that's not defined very narrowly. We could move on to uh, a mission that is embedded within uh, the Mosaic law, that is to hold up to other people a description of the character of God that is embedded in the law. If we live according to God's laws, we are showing other people something of God's character. We could move on to the, the wisdom literature in the Bible, a calling, a mission to live wisely and in tune with um, wisdom, who was the creator of uh, this universe in which we live. We could move on to the prophetic mission to bring justice uh, to uh, across society. Uh, we could move on to Paul's mission that he describes in, in terms of engaging with the spiritual powers, um, and not least the evil spiritual powers. All of these, I think, are very clearly there in Scripture as, as missional tasks laid before the people of God. And if we narrow it simply down to evangelization, we're missing so much more. In terms of mechanisms of how God can in engage with, uh, with the world through us. Okay. That, brilliant. I mean, I love the scope of that. I mean, I, I'm assuming that we can take for granted, and I, I know you, so I know I can assume this, but I want to make sure our listeners know that they can assume. You, you're not saying that the, the proclamation or the evangelization part of that is unimportant. It's just, it's not the only part. That's right. Exactly. So yeah. if we take Matthew 28, go into all the worlds, uh, that is clear. Where we take that as our only mission, then I think we have misread scripture as a whole. Okay, that's helpful. Okay, uh, so what sort of things might you see then in the context of this breadth of mission that we're talking about, that perhaps, perhaps we wouldn't maybe normally think of as mission. Would that? Can you give us some examples of what you, how you're thinking about that? For us as a family, a few examples uh, that may not be relevant for others, but the fact that we grow vegetables in the garden. Okay. A challenge to me about how I drive my car. Okay. How we use electricity in the house. This, that would be the, the caring for the ecological environment. This is a good creation. Uh, and that's why another personal challenge and, or area of involvement for me is uh, I've recently become a magistrate in the sheriff court. That, that's about bringing justice and mercy um, at a, in a very particular and narrow um, area. But I see that as coming from uh, the prophetic books, particularly in the Bible. That's what part of what drew me to volunteer to be a magistrate. Okay, so we're embracing things that traditionally we might have thought of as 
just secular work, so being a magistrate, planting food in your garden, driving your car, and understanding those as part of your mission, or, yeah, we'll come back to parsing that, but but, but part of you living well under these kind of missional callings that are in the Bible, is that? That's right. So the wisdom one would be, um, to what extent... Am I making wise decisions about how I use money? Uh, and people observe how I use money. People observe how I spend my time. People observe the kinds of decisions I make in all sorts of areas of my life, even in the workplace. Um, do they see that I am living in tune with wisdom? God, who is wisdom. That, that to me, entails... Uh, and we're going to come back to what that means in terms of actually being engaged in mission in its fullest sense. But it seems to me to be the kind of Jesus follower who sees themselves in that way requires a different kind of discipleship. That we haven't traditionally said to people, right, you follow Jesus now, so I want you to think about how you drive your car. I want you to think about, well, well, actually, let's stick with the car driving one. We might have said we want you to think about how you drive the car, but what we would have said is we want you to make sure you stick to the speed limits because you must obey the laws that were made by uh, the government that have been given godly authority over us, and it would be sinful not to obey that. And so it's a sin issue. But you're saying something different about how you drive a car, right? And so a different kind of discipleship needed? Is that fair? I I guess we could look at... uh, obeying the law of the land. We could look at um, how we display courtesy to other people on the, the road. We could also look at um, ecological reasons for how I use the gas pedal. Yeah. Or even what kind of car I have. Uh, and, and I'm only here talking about ways in which I personally have been challenged. And I'm sure mm. in regard to the ecological questions, other people will be challenged in different ways. And we can all learn from each other. Yeah, of course. But, but to that discipleship question, I mean, I, I, you know, we discussed on the last podcast your, your theological background and your theological training. Is it that that's led you to this kind of breadth of understanding of your discipleship? Or is it, uh, is it your own discipleship? Have you had others speaking this into you, others encouraging you in that way? Or it, just God? It, it's, come, it, it's come from a pattern that my wife and I became involved in in over the last few years and that is a deliberate intention to read through the whole of the bible once a year for successive years at the moment that is my goal for the rest of my years on this earth um, to make sure that I'm constantly going back to every passage in Scripture. And it was through that that different emphases come out. I've um, used the image before of a diamond, mm-hmm. and as I hold it in my hand, I cannot see all the facets. Um, but I need to keep rotating it. And I see similarities in facets as I go back to the beginning of Scripture. And ah, that's a bit like that over there. Um, and so different discipleship challenges have emerged for us as we keep turning that diamond um, metaphorically or just keep turning the pages of scripture 
you've outlined for us a really broad sense of, uh, and I'm going to call it the mission of God, that we're invited to participate in. Are you okay with that yeah. language? Is that... Um, and so there's these callings of God in various different ways that were expressed to you know, Adam and Abraham and Moses and so on, uh, the people of Israel, the people of God. Those haven't ended, but as the church, we are the carriers of those in this world right. today. Um, and, and it includes Matthew 28 and things such. I, I guess, you know, in a theological sense, if people are interested in reading more about that, you know, people like Chris Wright and... Uh, Tom Wright would very much be writing in that kind of Absolutely, way. Absolutely, right? yes. So, uh, if if you're interested in a book, I will recommend one on that, uh, which would be uh, Chris Wright's Mission of God book, which is huge, <laughs> but he has a much smaller one, uh, about half the size, that takes you through it, that I think is called uh, The Mission of God. Um, so, if uh, you're interested, I'll link to that in the show notes, have a look at that, and it, it, he goes through, it's, it's almost a workbook, looking at the breadth of the, the calling of God on his people. Uh, but if that's our, our, our sense of uh, the breadth of our missional calling in the world, I can absolutely see how individuals would carry that on and would go and live well in the ways that you're describing, choices about their car, choices about their food, choices about how they spend their money, choices about the kinds of work they get involved, the kinds of things they volunteer for. How does the church carry that missional calling? One of the things we talked about on the previous conversation was how it's very important that the church allows individuals both the headspace and the time to be involved in this. So this isn't quite where you were heading in that question, but I think it's an important part of the answer that we give people the space to be able to live uh, and model uh, rounded, holistic uh, Christian lives as opposed to having so much of their time absorbed around planning and doing the work of the church. But you're also pushing on something else there, and, and that is how, does the, how do the people of God in community engage in mission. I think I have probably been pushing the pendulum uh, very far to try and listen again to the call that is there on from that um, third declaration of, of, of principle um, about the responsibility of the individual. How do we ensure that individuals within yeah. our churches realise that this is first and foremost their responsibility? But also, think about... a. Um, a verse like, um, see how they love one another. This, this image that is, is portrayed to the wider community as they look in on the church being a, a, a vibrant Christian community. That in itself um, is, is part of a mission. And of course, in addition to that, um, this is how we embrace other people into community, allow them to uh, give them the opportunity to not simply observe from the outside, but to enjoy from the inside as well. I have been hugely influenced in my thinking by people like Bosch and I guess more recently by people like Alan Hirsch 
those kind of missiologists. And one of the things they've pushed on quite hard is is this sense of uh, people in community doing mission. So, you know, I, I think Bosch says something along the line, I'm going to butcher his quote here, but it's something along the lines of uh, the community is now the primary bearer of mission that he sees in the bringing together of the people of God in, in the body of Christ, that it's not just individuals uh, who are kind of off on their own uh, doing the good sort of things in the, that full breadth of mission, but actually the community has something profound to do uh, with mission. And so for me, my what I hear is, a, or what I want to push back against, is that potentially that individualization of mission that means that people can become Christians or become connected to Jesus in a way that never really involves the community of faith, which therefore I think leads to a stunted discipleship because without the community of faith, I'm not sure that we have proper discipleship in Jesus. Is that, is that a fair pushback to what you're saying? It is. Let me push back yeah. also. Please do. Um, if you take our week yeah. or our 24 hours um, or our 12 months of the year, h- how much of that time uh, are we spending outside the immediate contact with um, fellow members in our own church community. That has to be significant. And that's one of the reasons why I'm pushing the pendulum so far. Nonetheless, I'm sure it's right that we see in Acts 2, 42 to 47, this, this beautiful picture of people within Jerusalem observing the blessing of God um, on the church community. And we need to see that happen more and more in our churches as well. So it's a recognition that the individual is separate from the rest of the people of God for most of their living and waking hours. Um, So we, we need to work on that. One of the models we are wanting to develop within Geary Church... And this would be a change going forward. Until this point, we, we, I talked about this, um, I think, last time about a modular growth of the church. Yeah. Uh, every now and again, as the, a group gets large enough, we split and, and go into two uh, and so, so on. One of the models we're wanting to explore now, which has been developed very successfully in other parts of the world, is to say that the group should never split. As I read through the Gospels, I can't see where the group of the Twelve ever ever divided into two groups of six. They remained Twelve from beginning to end. And yet it seems to me as if the Church has two models of growth. One is dividing, and the second is growing ever larger. And I think there's a third model that we can do, and that is to say... If we take these three or four families around one table in Geary Church, we encourage all of the individuals in there to start their own second table. So they remain part of an undivided primary table, mm-hmm. but they engage in mission by inviting their friends into their homes all sorts of questions there about the frequency of meeting. Why does it have to be um, once a week for every group? But this is something we want to explore. We're exploring it first with our youth, 
who would come around to our house on a Friday evening and we'd have a meal together and do some learning together and have some fun together. Uh, and the next step we're about to take is to encourage all the folks within this youth group to keep doing this, maybe less frequently, but in addition to invite their friends to their own homes and do similar things. They, we could come along if they wish occasionally, but this will be for them to do. And so that, that, it seems to me that you're trying to use, no, use is the wrong word because it sounds almost manipulative, but um, that you are practicing hospitality in a way that makes faith accessible to people, or at least makes people accessible to others. Um, and so hospitality becomes a core part of how you are expressing the mission of God uh, in, in, in that model. We have a strap line that summarises that. Uh, sharing lives, sharing Jesus. The two coming together. Great. Great. And so, so I, I like that. It sounds great. And it, and it absolutely is the church on mission when you're doing that. You know, it, this isn't just individuals. And I think what I'm hearing out of this conversation, and where I might be changing my mind, you might be winning me over here, um, is this uh, is this really profound sense of the church gathered around a kitchen table, uh, perhaps even gathered in a larger setting, but realizing that with the best will in the world, that might be too three times a week at most for an hour, an hour and a half. Per month, two to three times per month. Right. But even thinking about our more, our more inherited church models, we might be talking about you know two or three times a week at most for an hour to an hour and a half. So we're talking no more than six hours a week. Um, and uh, out of, what are there, 162 hours in a week? Now, we spend a chunk of those sleeping, but the, the, the rest of it's spent elsewhere. So we've got this sense that just in a very practical way, people are scattered. Um, and, and what I'm hearing from you is this deep sense of people understanding that in those other 100, and 100 hours a week, that they are actually involved in this really broad sense of the mission of God and all that they do. And that they should serve in those places with that as their very heartbeat, almost. And that is them on mission. This is fruitfulness on the front line language. Okay. That, that, that sounds like a strap line that I that, should know, but that's I don't. A, that's a very significant resource that, are, that are, uh, a number of churches, I think, across the union will, will have used. Okay. Um, it comes from um, LICC ah. down in, uh, in London, okay. uh, and it's a very helpful set of resources i'm not familiar with it but we will link to that in the show notes so it will be there underneath Uh, have a look at that so is that looking at faith in the workplace and that kind of a thing or that's right Uh, faith wherever our front line happens to be and at any point in the week your front line can be it can be at the uh uh, the the till in the shop or it can be uh, in the workplace or it can be over the garden fence or it could be the school gate Uh, how are you being fruitful as a disciple uh, within these contexts? Okay. And so there is that scattered sense, but I also hear you recognising, particularly as you talk about this new, perhaps, third way that you were talking about, 
of not dividing or just growing bigger, but borrowing from the global south, really, this model of keeping one thing and starting something else. That rootedness also matters. It's not so it, it it's uh, scattered and gathered that they both really matter. That's right. If missions to be effective. Yes. If if that's the model, gathered and scattered, that that that's the discipleship that we require to see God do something uh, in Scotland, in in our very difficult climate. How do we do that? I understand how you're doing it in Geary Church, and I understand you're only going to want to speak from that context because I know that's who you are. But, but you, you also you serve the union more widely than that. We've talked about your role with the college, but you serve on the, the accreditation committee, the mini, uh, board of ministry. Board of ministry. Um, you have a wider view than that. That's not our normal practice in the average Baptist church at the moment. That's not a criticism, it's just an observation. If that is something that we think is necessary, how, how do we go about that? What do we need to do? I think it's really important that we reinforce the importance of learning. And that's at the root of the word disciple, isn't it? Uh, I stopped being a disciple... Uh, when I stopped being a learner. <laughs> if month by month I am not learning about the mission of God that, uh, that is uh, imposed upon me. Um, so I think in our churches we need to ensure that these are environments in which we are being challenged and learning and learning how to live differently. And that means that we worship differently over time. We live differently over time we reach out to other people differently over time. And I think that can be core to any kind of structured church. So how does that learning change then? Because presumably we're not doing that just now. I think we often lack good role models of learning. I wonder whether from the front we're used to hearing about the learning that our minister has taken on board through theological education. Not so much about the learning that they are going through, the daily challenge in their discipleship, I want it to be the case within Geary Church that anybody there could look at my life and say, I have observed these changes in Andrew over the last couple of months. And I certainly know it to be the case of those that I see elsewhere in, 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 in this church community, from the adults to the youth and to the children. I see ways in which they are now two, three months further down the line, different people. And I think that's will show all sorts of fruit in all sorts of different areas of life, including missional. So one of the things that we might need to see is a vulnerability in those of us who are teaching regularly to be outworking some of what God is outworking in us in front of our congregations and not, well, I'll say it because I don't think you would, hiding behind our education uh, and 
teaching in a way that perhaps a little colder than us being open with our ongoing struggles of how we how that mission of God is working out in our lives and how we're trying to work that mission of God out in in the way that we live. I think that's right. I think shared lives, however we can help that happen, is a very, very powerful way of learning. And isn't that how our own children learn? Yeah. Through shared lives, not through being given a book or being told necessarily how they should live. They observe and they learn and they spot our mistakes. <laughs> so the family becomes a really important uh, model, not only of the practicality of church, but actually as an example of how learning and teaching can work. I think that's right, yes. Okay. The one thing we haven't touched on as we've talked about mission is the proclamation part of it. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts for us on, in our current culture, how we go about proclaiming, uh, in Jesus' language, the good news of the kingdom of God. I have so much to learn about this and have really valued over the last four years being a street pastor and learning from others who are very, very skilled at sharing Jesus um, in conversation. I have found that I think the the stories that I want to draw on in Scripture have changed Hmm. um, over the last few years. Uh, The emphases that I want to put out um, in conversation with others uh, have, have morphed somewhat um, as I've been learning more about uh, scripture, the, going back to this reading through from beginning to end. Uh, so I think the kinds of conversations I, I now uh, have with people uh, who are not believers is changing. Would you mind exp- in what way? Like, what were they and what are they now? Like, I what, how- think the direction that I'm going in is focusing much more on the importance of Genesis 1 to 4 as foundational for so much of life. Uh, And focus on God as a creator uh, is is a very, very helpful starting point. Uh, And the calling that um, he places on human beings to work with him within this created order, um, I think... That, and, and that's not a calling that is exclusively there for believers. Believers alone must uh, care for the planet. But it's one in... Uh, all sorts of contacts and connections can be made in conversation by starting there. There is a, um, a, a divinely ordered way of, of looking after this creation that we can engage in. We're part of the, the, the work of God and I think it's, it's a great invitation to offer to other people whether they share the faith or not to say we can collaborate with God on this so we find common cause that allows us then to have further conversations I think so um, and I, I think it does it, it, it really is worth just spelling out that, that this hasn't been the normal way that the church in Scotland has talked about the gospel um, that we have had a truncated gospel for a long time. Um, not because we necessarily believed it, but because I think we had boiled it down to something we could share. So it was, someone is a sinner uh, because of the fall. They're, they require some sort of salvation. Uh, Jesus was that on the cross. 
if they accept that Jesus did this for them on the cross, then they get the golden ticket to heaven. And therein is the story. But actually what I hear you saying, and these are definitely my words, not yours, uh, but what I'm hearing you saying is that by going back before that first statement, you are a sinner, that we, we come to something which is that God created, which is a story in itself, but what he created was good. And so there's an inherent goodness at the beginning. Um, there is a fall. There is a brokenness. There is a redemptive work that goes on through the people of Israel, through the, 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 the prophets, uh, uh, through them being called to be a light to other nations, um, through them supposed to show that through the law. Uh, and then we have Jesus, and Jesus performing the ultimate redemptive work through his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And then the promise that that's not even the end that actually there's more to come. And the more to come isn't just us floating off to heaven, but actually is a, a full new heavens, new earth, a recreation almost. And that that fuller story is much easier actually to engage our current culture, uh, or at least gives us more entry points to our current culture than that truncated gospel that was never really the full gospel at all. Is that is that? I think fair? that's right. And, and what an, an incredibly attractive picture uh, of of being a co-regent with God, reigning with God, not just ultimately, but being part of the kingdom of God, joining with God in his own project, um, but according to his own criteria, not ours. And so that leads us back to discipleship issues like obedience. That's right. Fantastic. Fantastic. I want to give you a chance. Is there anything in this conversation that you feel like, I wish I'd said that, or I haven't had a chance to say this, or if Glenn had asked me this? We've covered an awful lot of ground, and that's been, it's been fun. Good, good. Andrew, I can't thank you enough. You, you've been a, a dear friend to us for many years. Uh, I hope that continues after this, that it hasn't been such a, a grueling experience. Um, but, you know, your work here at Geary has been an influence on Karen and I, uh, as we planted the bridge and uh, continues to be as we work in Portobello. We love what you're about. We love your heart. I love your theological reflection, uh, but your ultimate commitment to deep practice uh, is uh, actually really inspiring. And I'm sure it will have been uh, for our listeners too. I give everyone the opportunity to plug something or encourage us to read something. It, do you have something? Without a without a hesitation, I would say, uh point directly to uh, The Bible Project. Uh, it's a, an internet resource, a free internet resource, uh, largely of, uh, of eight-minute animated videos, um, accessible from uh, the, the BibleProject.com. For those who've never come across these videos, um, they unpack each of the books of the Bible and some key themes in, in amazing ways, that which we use right across the different ages. For those who want to go further, they have podcasts that are really deep and stretching. They are a big ask, but they are very, very useful. Great. So a little step up on the midcast, but they are, I can thoroughly recommend that too. I, uh, we've used the Bible Project in our church too and found it to be an incredible resource, as you say, across all the ages. Because it's so visual, our teenagers in particular love them. Uh, so great resource. And again, we're Scottish, so who's not to love a free resource, right? <laughs> Thank you to Andrew for all the time that he gave me that day and the opportunity to pick his brains on these issues of church and mission. I hope you have found the last two episodes to be as helpful as I have. 
If you are enjoying the Midcast, it would be really helpful to us if you could take a moment. If you're on iTunes, just give us a quick 20-second uh, review. Let us know uh, what you think. But it's also really helpful for others to be able to find uh, the Midcast that way. Finally, please do subscribe to the Midcast on whatever platform you use to listen to us as we're going to shift to putting out episodes more frequently over the course of the next few months. And we have some brilliant guests lined up for that. We have Ali Bolton from the New Housing Hub. We have a round table with some of the young people on our training program. And we also have some really exciting international voices that we're going to be talking to over the course of the next few weeks, as well as the usual Scottish stories that we're here to tell. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you've been encouraged in mission in our nation. This has been the Midcast. I'm Glenn Innes. We are out. You've been listening to the Midcast, a presentation of the Mission Initiative Group of the Baptist Union of Scotland.